Welcome to Season 1 of Instrumental. I'm your host, Amber Petty. I love the drums, um, so it's one of my favourite. I, I feel like it's out of all instruments, the affiliation, if I was to, you know, and, and, and this is what I want this series to appeal to is, mm. Is you know it, it it's it's people like me, but, but hopefully younger, that have some kind of like little thing or crush on a particular instrument that hears all of you fabulous lot and goes and it pushes them over to considering it with a bit more seriousness, you yeah. know, and also kind of going, wow, you know what, if I keep bonding with this thing, this thing could really provide me a great life, you know, and or, or at least lots of adventures. But so you're one of the people, obviously, because, you know, I like to go back, well, where, where did you first, you know, mm. discover your instrument and whatever. But I saw a wonderful photo of um, on your Instagram again um, of your dad playing yeah. So you obviously came from a, a very – and your brother's, you know, very instrumental uh, – instrumentalist, yeah. multi-instrumentalist yep. according to Google. Um, tell me about your childhood and your upbringing, your mum and dad and all that. Okay. Well, when I was six and a half years old, we moved to the States. Oh. My father worked for Heinz and um, was transferred over there to go – it was a promotion transfer where you go over there and you work under the, you know, high-level mm-hmm. marketing. He was a marketing guy. And he was in the – in the great thing about his story, I mean, he's a, he's a story in himself, mm. but he was over there in the Yeah, 60s. he had a re- – even just in the photo, yeah. he, there's, it's like this guy's someone. Yeah. Well, he had to give up playing drums when he had ki- you know, family because yeah. it was never really – I mean, he came from a fairly uh, – Lower middle class to working class. Yeah. Up, you know, no, I wouldn't even say lower middle class, but they were struggling. You know, his yeah. father was an artist that um, did a Lunar Park and all that kind of stuff. And really? Yeah, did it work for JC Williamson as a set painter and wow, uh, did a whole bunch of other things, odd job man. But but so that was a you know hand to mouth existence. Yeah. And he was when he graduated school, he was meant to go and study law. But he had to go and get a job because the idea is when, you know, you leave or you get to a certain age in a family, you've got to bring mm. in board, help mm. pay the rent, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. he got given a job at Heinz as an office boy and worked his way up, mm. Mm. which is something that's almost non-existent now. You can't really do that anywhere. Mm. Mm. And so we got transferred. The short version is we got we went to the States and relocated so that he could go and work on this particular project over there with the marketing people. So he was flying to New York. How interesting. He must have been He was smart. in the Mad Men era. So he wow. was actually in the I was going to say, what era are we talking 60s, here? Mid-60s. Wow. So he was basically flying to New York to have meetings with these Madison Avenue um, ad people. No. Completely. Full Mad Men. Now, here's our campaign. You've got yeah. well, Snow Draper they're... presenting the campaign to him and then they're all smoking and drinking yeah. whiskey. And there's a there's an actual episode of Mad Men where they deal with Heinz. No, I know they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we were there for two years. And the girl, the girl character who's in um, the Handmaiden's yeah. Tale, she, I reckon, she comes up with the killer idea or something. Anyway, yeah. it's a really yeah. yeah, it's good. So we were there. I went to school over there for a couple of years, and during that time, uh, I think there was so much that I was exposed to musically, just on television and on the radio, just American yeah, pop yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing. The Ed Sullivan show was on every Sunday night yeah. and uh, you'd see – I remember seeing the animals. They're so cool, and, weren't they, those shows? Yes. There was always live music on and as, as weird as it, 
sounds, I kind of woke up, almost woke up one morning realizing that I could sort of play a rhythm, you know. Really? Yeah, just, I don't know why, I just, you know, just something that... Do you think you just, you'd sort of gazed at them so much and, and gone and worked out that the rhythm had kind of somehow you knew, have heard knew how to achieve the rhythm? I might have heard a pattern in my mind and worked yeah. out how to do it. It was just really basic and, it was yeah. something, and I just thought, oh, I wonder where that came from. Yeah. And I remember when we moved home and I got really interested in um, drumming and music, you know, just pop music, but drums in particular. Why drums, do you reckon? I just liked the way they looked. Mm. Um, and when I was nine... One of my birthday presents was that I went to my grandparents who, my grandmother, my father, grandfather was dead, uh, and my father set up his drum kit and I could play it all day. Oh. And then eventually it moved back to our house when yeah. they moved to a smaller place. Yeah. And I had it as my, you know, and I used to set it up and I kind of taught myself to play just from listening to records. Yeah. And then when, and I kept asking my father to show me some things and he'd say no i'm not going to show you did you know how good he was did you know yeah yeah, he was like in my eyes as a young he was was like amazing totally somebody that could play the drums yeah yeah so there was that fascination with Mm. that but he he insisted that i have lessons properly so when i turned 16 he um you know, paid for me to go and have lessons off this guy once a week and i is this still in america or you've moved no this is back in australia yeah and um so I had three years of formal lessons of this guy, and and when you've been when you teach yourself an instrument, and then you go and have lessons, you realise that on the first lesson that you pretty much don't know anything, and everything you learnt is. Does that wrong. feel like a good thing or a bad no, thing? It was Does it feel like it, it, it was crushing, what? Cr- crushing or it was crushing. Oh. It was, um, but for a short amount of time, and then I think at that point you make the decision whether you want to do the work to get better. Yeah, true. So. Like anything, every instrument has a, a thing attached to it, like scale, the equivalent of scales. Yeah. And um, for drums, it's a thing called rudiments where you sit yeah, I was going to say, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't even know what that what learning the drums looks like. You know, yeah. like, what, what is right, rudiments. Well, rudiments are things that you learn when you're in an orchestra or if you're in a marching band or yeah. it's a way to gain technique um, on the instrument so that you can play – it's designed to make the outcome easier, but the learning of it is hard. Yeah. It's like learning a language. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a language of drumming. So, and some people choose not to do it and completely be self-taught and have a great career in life and do all that kind of stuff without it. I did it because I thought that was the right way to go. Yeah. And, of course, it's good to learn these things and then – You've, you eventually decipher what you need and what you don't need. And yeah. What, and what's, whatever, it, what's excess? Yeah, whatever what's... music what – the music you end up playing takes you – kind of spells out what you need. Yeah. And you tend to drop – Well, that's like with school with anything, isn't it? Anything, it goes, yeah. I'm definitely – I don't think I'm going to need to know whether the plates of the Earth's core, yeah. are, are, you know, when, they're, when and how they move – I'm in Melbourne. I think I'm okay. Yeah. And so if you were, though, going to study law, you, you need to learn the way to learn about law, mm. and that's what you do in your study. Mm. And then w- the practising is a whole different thing. Yeah. So it's kind of – Did you sim- become quite disciplined? Like, what were you like? I did become disciplined. I, For me, it was um, – Because then, then people are going to be going, okay, so what level of commitment did he put to that? Because I know where he ended up. You, All right. I'll you tell you, I, um, at the time, I was – my main two interests were football and music. 
So I was still playing football on the weekends and yeah. training during the week. And it wasn't until I was... What position did you play in there? Well, I, I well, played in the back line when I was in juniors. And then the last two years I played, I played, I decided to give myself a couple of... A, I played in a uh, F-grade amateur seconds, seniors, when I was just F turned 18. F-grade amateur seconds. Yeah. I played for... But <laughs> that, it's not that, as bad you, as you, it sounds. I was going to say, you're making that sound like I might get a go in that. Well, actually, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of like a lot of people who played in the amateurs down the list were all... Reasonable players in their day, but they all went off and did professional careers. Yeah, right. And they're a little okay. bit past it fitness-wise, but they still had yeah, some skills. Yeah, So I decided as a young 17 turning 18-year-old that I'd clean up in that league and be able to just get <laughs> – and, uh, and I did. I had two great years of playing football. I'm going to be a star in this group. <laughs> I kind of, it's kind of just picking the smallest pond to be a big fish. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I did that for – couple of years and then I decided <laughs> it all started even on that level started to get too serious and I went that's it I want to con concentrate on playing music and um, so at that stage where you actually you know because you've also come from a father from you know podcast series that I'm um, about to launch before this one is called the silent generation so right. it's literally uh, conversations with people that were born between 1925 and 1942 which I right. presume yep. your father would have been would, would he I'd be a silent so, yeah. generation I'm just out he's 85 so yeah, yeah correct he would have been yeah. yeah so and the reason why I bring that up is because his generation you know really didn't have you know as he said you know he he, he didn't necessarily I'm not saying that he wanted to pursue uh, the drums or music to the extent that you mm. did, but there's every chance that maybe he did. But that generation really didn't have the luxury of anyone no. supporting that kind of move. It's like you're lucky to have a job, you know, yeah, you, you just had just fewer options. People yeah. didn't sort of in, encourage that. But so what was he like with you and, and were you going, I think I want to make actually a career and make money out of this? I, well, I actually Or had it's just this... like I'm young and I just want to keep playing and, until someone tells me no, to No, no, no. I actually did the classic, what you, the latter, which was um, the former, sorry. I, I was a bad student. Yeah. Terrible student. So, hated, so. hated school. Hated <laughs> everything about it. And I, the minute school ended, I went and got I, – I worked in a pickle factory for – Two weeks just oh, to get I some money. I love, it? I love that, pickles. Did you did you steal the pickles? Did you eat them? I didn't want to see a pickle after I'd I was going to say, I'm sure you'd had a gut full, literally. smell of vinegar, of hot oh, vinegar. Yeah. But I also burnt the shit out of my hands on, on, the, the, on the vinegar because you were taking things, the lids weren't on properly and they'd fall. Boiling hot vinegar would fall down inside of your gloves. Oh, God. It was horrendous. And I thought, there's got to be an easy way to get make a living. So I wrote a letter to every bank in Melbourne and thought, how hard can it be working in a bank? <laughs> you know, they, they, they actually start they at nine and finish at three. There. Yeah, yeah. But that's actually not true as I found out. But I got the first job I went for and I worked in a bank for two and a half years being bored out of my brain yeah. but trying to save up enough money to buy a car Yeah. and also not knowing what else I was going to do with my life. And then I got to a certain point where I'd had a run-in with the, my boss a couple of times about he, he had a problem with my work ethic and attitude and he was totally justified in it. And he said, <laughs> he said do, do you not like the bank? And I said, yeah. And I went, no, I don't. Yeah, and he goes, yeah, well, yeah, leave. of course I do. So I went Actually, home and told no, my parents. I hate it. It's boring as batshit. So I went home to my parents. I was still living at home and I said, um, I have to quit my job and I really want to just concentrate on music you know, to see yeah. how, how I can go. And they, being very understanding, said, give it a year, 
give it a year. Stay yeah, at, yeah. You can stay at home, live at home, rent free. As long as you help me out, this is my mother, help me out with your younger brother, who was my brother Dan, yeah. who's the, the, the uh, other musician in the family, who was 17 years younger than me and was at kindergarten. So I would help by going picking him up from kindergarten, giving him his lunch. Or well, one what my a was out genius little arrangement for them yeah. and her to, to do because that is really giving you an opportunity that wasn't probably ingrained in yeah. them from where they come exactly. from and, and their parenting, but also not only to support you in that, but, but also to, to make it work for her as well. Yeah, and also what she had, we had six kids in the family. Oh, she had my youngest brother. No wonder she, she needed help. Yes. Gee, she's By a good stage, negotiator. Yeah, I know. She, a set of twins. And uh, Dan being 10 years younger than the next one above. So big Catholic family. Gosh. And uh, so I think by then she needed a little – she could handle another adult in the house to help out during the day. And that gave me all this time to just practice. So all I did was practice. So that's when I got disciplined. I actually did sit down and put into practice all the stuff that I was learning and sat there with a practice pad, worked out a practice routine – then I started playing, you know, I was, at the time I was playing in rock and roll bands around the neighbourhood and mm. I got a phone call from... In a, Melbourne? Yeah, 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 Melbourne. yeah. I got a call, phone call from a bass player who I still play with now in Paul's band. Wow. Bill McDonald. Oh, God. And he was playing in this sort of jazzish kind of band that were all based on Melbourne State College. They're all fourth, third and fourth year, you know, jazz students. Yeah. And I went and auditioned and got the gig and it pushed me to another level and where I was practicing probably about four to six hours a day wow. every day for a couple of years. And um, that was the sort of the groundwork I did in learning my instrument. Sorry, I just need to interrupt this chat for a minute to talk about my sponsor, Yamaha Music Australia. Now, I think anyone that's ever had a music lesson in their life, even if that was just a primary school like me, probably think of Yamaha when they think of instruments, as do loads of professional musicians all over the world. But what they also do at Yamaha is great sound, which kind of makes sense considering they're part of the creation process of making music, so they should really be part of helping you listen to it in the best way you possibly can. So Yamaha has some really great home audio devices from Bluetooth speakers to sound bars and AV receivers and even this amazing home cinema fit outs. You can stalk them on Instagram or Facebook at Yamaha AVAU. Now, big drum roll, think Rob Hurst, Peter Luscom doing this. They've just launched MusicCast, which is a multi-room audio device and it sort of looks like a smallish speaker. And it lets you share the most amazing sound from room to room with just one app. And let me add that that app was also simple enough for me to set up and not have to call my brother. And oh my God, the sound. I live in a small-ish two-bedroom apartment, so I don't need massive, massive speakers or sound, nor would my fellow residents at the apartment block want me to have that. But the difference between, and I won't name and shame, the small little Bluetooth kind of speaker that I was using versus the music cast speaker is unbelievable. I got so excited. I was just randomly hitting through Spotify, just playing different albums because the sound was just like literally having a stage 
right there in front of you. I could hear everything individually that's instruments and I, I'd just forgotten how much I wasn't getting that with my original setup. I even got so excited with this thing that I started Spotifying rain sounds and oceans because I was just so mesmerised by the sound quality. It's been really cool. It's one of the best things that's um, happened to me in terms of my music setup at home for a very long time. Anyway, you can check out the website for more info on the music cast multi-room technology at au.yamaha.com. And now back to my guest. And then I decided at age 22 that I didn't want to play jazz anymore because I didn't really believe that I was a jazz musician. Yeah. I always felt like a bit of a fraud. And I also just thought, uh, <laughs> I remember, this is going to sound very shallow, but <laughs> it's, part of, it's part of who I am. Oh, please, um, if you don't think I can my be shallow. Bill, when I defected from jazz, Bill, my good buddy, <laughs> said to me, why don't you want to play jazz anymore? I mean, it's, it's the highest form it's of It's the holy music. grail, yeah. And what? I said two reasons. I want someone to set up my drums and I want there to be girls at gigs. <laughs> I was going to say, and I want girls to find me sexy. <laughs> I want girls at gigs. Just get them in the door, you know, and instead of playing to a bunch of blokes, music, other musicians, which is like the audience is full of musicians. So, oh, I love that. Anyway, so I kind of went and on the – I think the, they're two great reasons. That yeah, and I went on the – I did what, what is now probably an impossibility, which is a rock and roll apprenticeship. Back in those days, there were so many pubs mm. and so many bands yeah. playing every night of the week in pubs. So I auditioned for a couple yeah, you of can't, bands. Yeah, you can't – you forget that. Like you forget how thriving yeah, the and pub it wasn't music it was, scene was. It wasn't always great. I mean, no, I, I joined a was, band that I didn't necessarily want to be in. Yeah. But they were playing six nights a week. Yeah. Every night – every week. Yeah. So you would play and you, you'd be – Working so it was the way I wanted to learn how mm. to play rock and roll mm. was to go out there and just play it because you know I kind of knew it in essence. But coming from the jazz world, everyone was really suspicious of you because they always thought you were a bit of a lightweight person in rock and roll. And right, that that has changed heaps nowadays. It's not a not a thing. But at that time in the late seventies, early eighties, it was a thing. It was yeah. kind of you had to prove to these. You know, people that you weren't some... You were rough enough too. Yeah. Rough you were, and tough yeah, enough. Yeah, you just could handle the, the, yeah. the lifestyle, you know. Yeah. So I did that and then through that, after a few years of um, slugging around there, I got a phone call from Stephen Cummings from right. the sports, if you're not familiar yes, with Yes, yes, yes. But and thank you for doing that. Yeah. Because yeah. um, also there'll be youngies hopefully listening to this podcast and they'll be saying, I don't, I, yeah. I don't, know, who they, I don't know what you're talking about, don't know what you're talking about a lot, so thanks for that. Yes. So he... He, this was the first proper job with a songwriter that yeah. I got. And, and where did he find you? Where did he I come from? I just randomly threw another traps. guitar player that, yeah. that knew me from someone that was managing. Which is what happens when yeah, you're young exactly and, and people is, are doing yeah. networking and, and, and things are building and your yeah. careers are going and yeah. you find each other. You exactly. find other good people. Yeah, and that, that was – so I worked with him. Uh, he The sports had finished. He wanted to do a little side project. He had a bunch of new songs. So I went and did that and on the first couple of rehearsals he was sort of saying, don't play that, don't play that. I mean, play, he goes, I like <laughs> what you're playing in that but that's too, it's too busy or don't play that, Phil. You know, yeah. you're always trying to chuck in something clever still at that age. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, uh-uh. Don't and so it kind of it made me really think about what it is to play the songs. And I yeah. felt like they were really great songs yeah. and I wanted to actually 
you know, be part of it. Yeah. That ended up lasting you a month. To fit into it nicely. Yeah, and just get the approval of the person that wrote yeah, the song. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up. He he took a bit more time off, and then he came back a year later or something, and I ended up doing his a solo record with him, and then did a bunch of uh, tours over the next couple of years, and I met Joe Camilleri through. Stephen. I was going to say before though, when you by the time you're starting to do these tours, what's mum and dad thinking? Are they thinking? Oh, I'd, I'd long gone. No, no, but were they, they were they must have been a bit chuffed that you. I think they thought I was actually probably not going to be completely wasting my time at that point. Yeah, it was, it was a it was a you know move forward. Yeah, was, they could know, see some that. genuine working movement. Yeah, my dad still couldn't understand why I didn't want to play jazz. I think that was a little bit of yeah, a yeah, you know, because he was he still is was a real jazz fan. And yeah. Anyway, so. I met Joe through Stephen and I start, I kind of worked with Joe and Stephen alternate at the same time on different projects because Joe had finished with Jojo Zepp and the Falcons yeah. and was doing this side project that became the Black Sorrows. Right. And at the time we were sort of – no one was ever employing you for a full year so you sort of juggled the two. And, and then it got to the point where um, the Sorrows got – Joe was more interested in doing a lot of work. Yeah. Stephen was retiring a lot. You know, he'd sort of had enough of it. He'd go and take a break, then do something else, then take a break. He didn't really enjoy touring. Yeah, right. He didn't, enjoy, he didn't really enjoy a lot of the live playing. But Joe was had that thing that of like – That's what he was all he about. Just, that's what he d- yeah. did. He would work it until it And he's it still worked. like that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. still like that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we – that ended up being – I was in that band for eight years and um, – and through that, we evolved into the band that everybody knew that Black mm, Sorrows mm. as. And I found Vicar and Linda for that band. Yes, and, I've um, worked with them at Mushroom Records. I worked go, for Mushroom yeah. Records, yeah, back in the yeah, day. Well, I, I, they were, I met Vicar as a receptionist at Platinum Studios and I knew she sang. And we'd done this record, which was the Hold On To Me record. And, we, and I said to Joe, it would be great to have some backing singers because we had Vanetta Fields and Shirley Matthews sing on the record. Yeah. But you, there's no way you can afford to take them on tour, but... The sound of it was really good, and we ended up um, having a, a, the next few years with that lineup. And we ended up selling quite a lot of records and touring a lot overseas. And, yeah. And I met Paul through Joe. So, wow, yeah. right. Gee, okay. So then Black Sorrows winds up, or do you well, leave? Like, how did, uh, like, what, yeah, it, what's the progression into Paul's well, band? I'll tell you what happened. We, um, the. Sorrows, was, it was a full-on – there was a three-year period where we did about nearly 300 shows a year. It was a lot of time. Shit. And then – Do you enjoy doing that? Because I I'd, find well, that panic attack central. Uh, it's, it, at the time, you don't question it because you just and take you, it from tour to tour. Yeah. You don't look and go, I've got 300 shows to get No. Through. And, you know, we, it was exciting. We were on the up. So you would you would go. We went to Europe four times in one year. Are you in a relationship at that point? I was, and it was not doing. No, it was not doing. Strange. Well. Yeah, it was hard. Really unusual. Yeah. So. <laughs> hard, hard from her, her side of things to be oh, trying yeah, was, trying to have a relationship with fresh air. We were kind of home, you know, in blocks and away in blocks and home in blocks. It wasn't ideal. And because it, uh, wouldn't you be coming home also, like exhausted? Yeah, exhausted, and also you feel. You're in a different headspace, so getting used to being home is really well, tough. Well, you're decompressing yeah. from wherever you've been to and yeah. then she's waiting there and nothing's changed in her world. No. That's tough, isn't it? But at the time, she was a, she was a photographer and she was starting to do a lot more work. And so there was enough going on in her, her head. That she understood but it, it, moving it, for creativity. It just got 
um, we owned a house. We had a mortgage that we couldn't afford. Yeah. And um, at that, all the stress of that, all, all that yeah. became the thing. Anyway, Joe, we did this one record where we did two records where I was involved in the production of it, and the, the record, the third record. He was getting more pressure from the record company to get an international producer to try and take it the next level. And right. It all became a little bit like it got – we felt a little disconnected. Yes. For our role in the band, we sort of started to feel like sidemen. Yeah, A bit yeah. more than we were as a and, – and we always were sidemen. Yeah. we felt it like a band. It became really obvious. It, it really felt like a band in that mm. core years, mm. in those core years. But mm. uh, anyway, so – I'd met Paul. I was doing a bunch of different stuff at the time because the Sorrows were having a lot more time off and I was playing on a lot of records for different people mm. because when you, when you work with bands like the Sorrows, you're working with really good production people and they mm. always end up hiring you to do other things. Totally, yeah, and yeah. that's how you, some of your work happens. And I got um, – I got – I was involved with a few Mushroom Acts at the time. Yeah, when, which ones? Uh, was, I'd done um, – Chris Wilson's yep. uh, Crown of Thorns record, one mm-hmm. the solo album. Christine Arnoux, uh, oh, that was a bit later. Um, Archie Roach played on yeah. Archie's second record. Um, David McComb from the Triffids. Okay. Yeah, played on – that was a bit later too. But what ended up happening is they wanted to do this showcase in at South by Southwest. This was in 93. Mm. And so they put together a band to back – a bunch of artists, you know, that were all on Mushroom at the time. Mm. And um, so it was myself and Bill McDonald, who I still play with, mm. and Paul was living over there in L.A. Oh. And, and so he decided I can't imagine that, Paul Kelly living in L.A. Well, just, not that I know him, but... He was over there. He's just because he's this quintessential from, Australian. He just... I think it was more LA. that he was thinking in terms of his career as a song. You know, like the, yeah. the messengers that done some got some really big inroads over there mm-hmm. and he was starting to get known was he a, so he was well respected as a songwriter and i think it was an opportunity to go over there and test the water and just get involved in a few other projects yeah be hard like as a songwriter like him especially when you know you're talking about like america where you know they have got so many exceptional storytelling songwriters you know like mm. yeah that, that that's such a um, and not that I know, but, you know, just the minute I kind of – anytime I think about, you know, songwriting, storytelling kind of, you know, it's Paul Kelly and it's people like, you know, Harry Chapman that I grew up mm-hmm. with. Do you know much yeah. of his music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like my – just that's really where I fell in love with the whole storytelling mm-hmm. um, songwriting. But it would be hard not to want to share that as, as, wide, as, as wide as you could. Mm, exactly. And also he – he was really well regarded by people in in the know. Yeah. But um, so we went over there, and he decided he wanted to play. He was solo at the time. Yeah. He decided he wanted to put a band, you know, use us as his band for mm-hmm. these oh, showcases. Right. And when we were over there, he said, "Look, I got a bunch of new songs. While we're here, do you want to come and record some tracks just to see what happens?" Yeah. And we ended up doing some um, uh, tunes and. Three of them ended up on the next record. On what the were they? Uh, it was um, Love Never Runs on Time. Yeah. Uh, a song called Same Saw and another one called Nakanya. And they were on the Wanted Man record. Okay. So anyway, that came out. He came back to Australia, m- relocated it. 
And I had just decided that uh, without going into the dirt and grime of yeah. leaving a band, I decided that <laughs> It's always I, quite a lot of dirt and yeah. grime, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't too bad, but it was just... But I it's knew, also a collective of Joe things. Joe was wanting to go somewhere else. He felt yeah. a little bit weighed down by uh, having people that he was responsible for uh, financially. Yeah. And is he I, now your father-in-law? He is, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, an, that's not... That's, that's another story. Doesn't the world move strangely? Yeah. And um, and I won't. We, uh, no, I, we I can go into it. But uh, no, the, I was going to say, and we also won't go. We won't go into the fact that um, he's also the father of my uh, mother's best friend's daughter's child. Who would that be? Your mother's. Who's your mother's? Helen Lyons. Oh, yes, so Sarah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Small world here yeah. in Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So um, I decided to leave, and then I ran into Paul in the street. And he was doing his laundry. I said, oh, I've just left the black, oh, I just left the black I've sorrows. I've just pictured him with a pair of yeah. white undies. He, he, no, he was carrying an actual laundry sack. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, look, I've just left the sorrows. If you decide that you want a drama ever, if you want to go out and do anything, let me know. And he, and he did his classic, you know, oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. And just, you moved on. Yeah. Didn't say much. And then about three weeks later, I get a phone call saying, from him saying, so are you serious about wanting to do some shows? I've got a tour coming up in January, and that was in that was at the end of '93, start of '94, and we did a tour, and then we started working on some new songs, and then in the middle of '94, we did a really long tour, and we made the Deeper Water album on the back of that, wow. and then it's been on since then. How extraordinary! Mm. Do you have those moments where you kind of go, "Shit, my life's really sort of..." unfolded in a pretty cool way. Yeah, I, but because I'm, you know. I know that sounds sort of daggy, a, but I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I look back on my life and certain things and sort of go, or recently I've been just sort of thinking about life and, and whatever um, and just going, well, some interesting things happened that I wouldn't have thought that were going to happen. I, mine aren't necessarily finding that talent like you, that one talent. I think mine's more been the discovery of who the heck I am and then slowly getting closer to what I want to be, yeah, which yeah. is even just doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, you... I, I, you know, if I think about it, I, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate. Yeah. I feel really yeah, fortunate and, it, and I don't take it for granted at all. And because of that's the, part of the key, because of my it, Catholic um, upbringing, I'm, I always worry that if I get if I enjoy it too much, yeah. it's all going to go away. <laughs> Some little bastard will come and snatch it. Exactly. Everything <laughs> off, will go horribly wrong. Plate. I can't enjoy it too much. <laughs> I'll take it so. right off my plate. Um, so I just wonder, like, if there's anyone kind of sitting out there with their little drum kit or, you know, thinking about drums or... What's your thing that you can kind of like share with people about what the, what the drums have been to you and I guess what, I don't know, how, how to sort of deepen that relationship that they might be starting with it? I think it's just it's like... Really, that doesn't seem like a great question, but... No, I know exactly what you mean and it's not necessarily the drums, it's anything that yeah, you find. sure. Drums was my thing. Yeah. Um, but um, I think, look... The thing that I always found from drumming in particular, I had this real weird thing where when I was at school, I didn't tell anyone I played drums. Ah. There was only my, my best friend at the school who's probably my only person I really still, from, still see from school. He was the only guy that knew because I didn't want anyone else's opinion on what ah. I was doing. It was my thing and I didn't want them, people to come in because, you know, I went to an all-boys Catholic school 
everyone's always bringing each other down. That's part of the deal, you know, like <laughs> part of the culture. It's part of the culture. What are you, you know? doing? Let me strip yeah, that yeah, apart. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm going to leave this one out of it. Yeah. I, you can bag my football ability or whatever. Yeah. Or but um, this is mine. Yes. And I think that was the thing. It was my thing. I felt like it was a world inside my own head that existed without anyone else around. I didn't need anyone else at the time to enjoy, you know, because my imagination and sitting behind a drum kit playing along with records, that was a freedom, you know, and it was also an excitement. And it was, um, you know, it was – so I think having anything that makes you feel like it's your your place where you can go and just get inside your own head. And then when you actually happen to – think that you if you find out that you can do it okay Mm. and you get an opportunity to um you know further it and play with other people or get involved it gets really it's exciting the Mm. first time you play music with other people yeah this is what is a real so don't get too caught up too on just your own solo journey no i mean you need i mean you need other people drums is an instrument that requires other people yes true you know it's i mean in this era we live in it's too easy for people to sit in the bedroom and make records on their own yeah and that's it's 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 its own thing that's fine but the experience of being in a room with other musicians and playing your first couple of songs together and actually it's sounding okay yeah is a feeling that you that excitement is it's something that you you hang that's a that's that flame that stays with you yeah and um the excitement never stops if you're lucky enough i still get the same excitement when I, you know, when I do certain things now mm. that I did then, I'm 60, yeah. and I um, walked out on stage, and it's funny because Bill and I have this thing every whenever we do a New Year's Eve gig, we always go, let's see if we can get away with it for another year, and oh, it's that's, like, that's so how we feel. Beautiful. We feel like we're getting away with it. It's like you know, this is a. You I know, love that, but 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 staying. Uh, you know, in the in the gratitude of oh, it's it, that's that's so important. I reckon it's like because it means nasty lessons don't have to come your way no. to shake you into gratitude because no. that's what it's all about. Isn't I it? I think people get caught up with ambition, and, correct? Which is taking you out yeah, of gratitude. And also, don't don't do it if you want to be famous. For yeah, it. forget yes. that. That if if you happen to be lucky enough to have a successful career, that's a byproduct. Yeah. It's not the career. The success comes in what it actually gives you. Yes. The, you know, like what it actually means it, as a person. It, it it gives you this thing. It's an outlet that where so, well, it's like, kind of the reward, isn't it? It is. Like Ray Kuda is one of my favourite quote that I keep saying. All these, I do a little bit of lecturing out of Box Hill um, TAFE in oh, the music yeah, thing. Yeah. And what I say to these people is never forget. Uh, Ry Cooter said two things. He says, it's a journey and you never get there, music, and it's a privilege. <laughs> it's a privilege yeah. to play music. Yes. And you never, ever should think – if you're a musician and you don't understand that, you're doing the wrong th- – you might as well go and work selling real estate because yeah. really the privilege mm. is that you get to do something that people in a day-to-day life that don't have – any kind of you get to be their wonderful's place, yeah, or you know that they would sort of just. The, I wish I could be like that. that you know? That's right. That's right. And it's not saying that a, that you're a step above anything that they do, no, but no, we, no, no, but no. we should, we should be thankful that we actually have something that someone else envies a little bit. Like not, uh, I don't know. Actually, that no, 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 no. Because no, let me put this to you, and you agree or disagree. But it's like what I said about why I wanted to do this series was because 
and because I can't remember whether we were recording or we weren't recording, but I, you know, saying that I did the series with the Australian Ballet. Yeah. So my fascination with, you know, this series, people in this series and the Australian Ballet and, you know, in any series that I do is, especially when people are, people have found their purpose or, and they do something really well, is not everyone gets there. No. That's just a fact and that is – it is sad but and that's why it is – but I think some people, lots and lots of successful people have got a story where they will tell you the moment they heard someone say something or the moment someone gave them time in that particular yeah. area, you know, your, your day of getting on that path to mm. real passion and, and privilege is, could be any day. Yeah, and it's but it also doesn't come to everyone. And also, but the other thing is that you want to make sure that even if you don't get there yeah. on a level, that doesn't matter. No, what matters is what you get from it. That's, you know, yes. and um, it's kind of like I if I had pursued football as my, yeah. I would have been sadly. <laughs> I mean, you would have sadly been just disappointed. Going and seeing, you would have been going and you know what? I would probably still be excited about playing on a Saturday because yeah. that was it was to me it was the ritual of playing. It yeah. was um, getting there and you know hanging out. Well, it's a, it's a yeah. ritual of yeah, it's the ritual of team and connection, yeah. isn't it? And, and just having this, it, it, it's a, it's as good as your imagination allows it to be. Yeah, and if that's you true. if you really still get something out of it, then that's your thing. That's yeah. you know, I had this incredible thing happened in 2011 where the two my two um worlds collided yeah my dream of playing you know on the mcg yeah. for collingwood yeah i ended up playing i love that you love collingwood too yeah. <laughs> I, I ended up playing the collingwood theme song with a choir playing drums on the mcg before <laughs> the match of collingwood geelong grand final oh, oh you know, and it was you know, you're there playing, um, <laughs> That's and fantastic. I went. This is, this is kind of it. This is That's the wonderful. Football, you know, and I walked out onto the MCG, and luckily we'd pre-recorded the drum part that I was playing, because they always do for safety. Yeah. Because I thought my brain was going to explode. It was all too much. How the hell do how these people come out and play in a grand final? Yeah. There was, you know, there's a ninety odd thousand people. Yeah. And it's just so looming. The adrenaline yeah. that you'd be feeling in that first ten minutes. That's mind blowing, yeah. isn't it? Oh, that's Sorry. really cute. Have you ever been to, or have you been in one of those um, presentation nights where they do the, they the one that I saw was, um, well, I'm sure it was Paul Kelly and Bob, Bob Murphy. Murphy, yeah, yeah, and they're basically sort of fanboying yeah. each other. Well, I, it's I, such yeah. a beautiful combination. Yeah. I, I know Bob reasonably well, and um, he seems like he's such a big a music fan, gorgeous, too. great guy. He's fantastic, and I when I, I was doing a show on Triple R. I used to fill in for Johnny Vogan Goes on Sunday Arvos a few years ago and I got him as a guest one time to come and program an hour's yeah. worth of songs. Yeah. That's where we first met and um, I've kind of stayed in touch on and off since then. But, yeah, no, look, there is a real yeah. there's a real thing where any footballer that likes music and any musician that likes football, if you get us in the room together, all we want to talk about is each other's each, jobs. That's right. Yeah, totally. No, 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 let's talk about you. Back forth, back <laughs> yeah, forth. Exactly. Um, just, to, just, I just wanted to wrap up because it was a, a thought that I had um, uh, during the week, and I saw Paul Kelly on um, the Today Show, and I feel really terrible because he was talking about basically some shows that you were doing, and it was to raise awareness for something amazing. Uh, it was to um, support. It's, An yeah. agric- like it was a it's it's in uh, 
Durham, I've got to yeah, say. Yeah, that's Durham. it, Durham. Hang on, I've got it written down. Is it Durham? Indigenous community? It's a, well, it's a, it's a rural community. Rural? That's a lot of Indigenous okay, population. Right. Hang on, let me just find it. Durham, let me get there. Hang on. While you're finding that, what I just wanted to say was um, I, and obviously knowing that I was coming to see you, to, to meet you today, I thought, wow, Peter must have a sense of through doing through being in a successful, you know, band as you have been for so many years and doing those regional tours over and over and over and over again, you must just have such an unbelievably uh, acute, uh, just next level that I couldn't even imagine, um, sense of what Australians are. Yeah. Because you're just walking into rooms of their energy. Yeah. And I find that quite beautiful and pretty... It's an amazing thing because um, at Dhirambandi, sorry, is the place right, got there. It. And, and it was to raise um, money to um, – it's an agricultural project. Well, it's to teach people to live off the land. Uh. Anybody that's not going to do a tertiary education, to give them some skills in, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, renewable farm. Yeah, just, susta- just a sustainable make, existence. Yeah, to actually teach skills to people that aren't necessarily going to go into a, um, you know, a scholastic yeah. environment. And it's it's a really good cause, and it's a it's an area that's done it really hard with droughts for the last oh, ten years. Okay. And there's a lot of there's you know there's disenfranchised youth as there are in a lot of regional areas because yeah. there's nothing to do. Yeah, and also there's there's despair, all sorts of things like that. So it was put on by Danny Sheen, who's Paul's cousin, who does a lot of work out in those. Areas. Oh, he, okay. He had a lot of an association with the Flying Doctor Service for a long time. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah it's, thank you for yeah, bringing that because I was I was trying to get ready for work and I was doing ver- various other things and um, it seemed like a really beautiful thing and I kept stopping, you know, to try and sort of uh, listen to it. But I just sort of walked away and thought, oh, I've got to ask Peter. Like the, he just must have such, you know, such, yeah, such a big tapestry of of. of feeling of what Australia is like. We've covered a lot of it. Because, uh, you know, like, I mean, I live, I've always lived in metro parts, you mm. know. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, you I, get, I, I, I make judgments on what I think Australia is yeah. about. You, 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 I feel like you kind of, you know, and everything's a generalisation, but, you know, when you're travelling around and you're seeing people come out to celebrate, you're, they're in their yeah. happy place. Or, you know, it's just Look, interesting. It's a, big, it's a big country. It's a big culture. And there's many parts of the culture there's different – I mean, anybody – it's really funny. I always get really annoyed at the inner city left, mm. even though I, my, my politics is definitely left. Yeah. But, I, but it's left with an ear to other people's problems. Sure, B- yeah. Because what, when you live in what we call the latte belt – Yeah. <laughs> Which well, I don't. I'm in Elwood. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, anything that's ten <laughs> in Ormond Road. Anything that's ten k of the GPR, yeah. the Melbourne GPR, yeah. is kind of in that thing. Yes. So all everyone's doing is talking to each other. Yeah. And once you get that's out, that's right. Yes. You've got to get out and understand that there's there's so many different issues, and people are a little bit um, whether they they have views that are conservative and and really counter to what we all possibly think. But you've got to understand why they have those views because they're, they're, yeah, of course. their upbringing is they've, – they've inherited 
the way of thinking from Beliefs. all the generations they come Correct. from, and they're as isolated in their views yeah. as what we are in our views. So absolutely. And, uh, and if we're that ignorant of theirs, then we yeah. have to uh, we, we have to be. And the only way that things change is by actually, you don't yell. The, the, you don't yell at the people that already think the way you think. You yeah. go and under, you go and listen to someone else's That's point of right. view, and maybe maybe if you listen to them enough, yeah. they might give you a turn where they listen to you. That's right. And you know, shut up for long thing, enough to just, just yeah, you absorb sh- it all. Exactly. Listen. Yeah. Listen, and then if you if you're asked to speak, mm. maybe shed some of your ideas on the situation. Yeah. It's um it's so complex. We're a really complicated species, and mm, we're a complicated we country. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's amazing though. There's some similarities between everyone, and that is if you just most people just want respect. Correct. They just want respect. It's so funny you say that mm. word because I was thinking about during the during the week. I can't remember what triggered it, but I just thought, no, what is really lacking in the world is respect and people's yeah. understanding of what respect yeah. is. It's just it's it's having the having a bit of empathy, some respect. Respect kind of is almost like can be an umbrella of a lot of those things because if you have respect for someone, it, yeah. it, it is acknowledging them, it's having compassion, it's having empathy, yeah. which is understanding and hearing them out. It's yeah. all of these things. Exactly. But and, you're right. And fear, the, 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 the whole culture of fear that we get put in, that doesn't help because everyone's suspicious of each other. That's right. All the time and um, nothing changes with that. But you break down sometimes, you can just find yourself in a room with somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to. Yeah. Not through it, not because you wouldn't, but because yeah. you've never been put in that situation. That's right. All of a sudden, there's something you'll find that you've got in common. Yeah, whether it's a- absolutely. To me, one of the great things is sport. I can always, That's I can talk sport with anyone. Yeah, and um, see, I'm not that person, but I see a lot of Aussies do that, and I go, you know what? Good on you. Good on you. Oh, that, that's my way in. Yeah, you know, like that's a lot of but way, people's of, but ways. I, in. But, but I, I think also, it's a lovely way in. But also because I've sort of been lucky enough to be around the art community for yeah. most of my adult life. Well, that's a beautiful. I, I still can, you know, maybe bring them into that a little bit with, mm. during that conversation. Yes. You know, and um, you know, I don't know. I think you. Uh, it's just a, it's a thing. You've just got to have the patience and the respect mm-hmm. to hear someone else's story. Yeah. You, you know. Yeah. There's a I lot out it. there and everyone deserves to be heard. That's right. You know? And you don't have to be a Paul Kelly to be, uh, you know, to, to be part of storytelling. No. and, and <laughs> Tell you your know, story or listen to someone's. Paul, if you watch Paul in, a, in an environment like that, he sits, you know, and doesn't say doesn't a word. Doesn't say a word. No. Yeah. yeah. Absorbs it all. Yeah. Always. you enjoyed this episode i want to thank yamaha music australia for getting on board and supporting this series please visit au.yamaha.com forward slash podcast to find out more about new products and promotions and if you'd like to help us spread the musical love it would be great if you could subscribe to our series via itunes and leave us a review if you feel inclined to hear more podcasts from me you can head to amberpetty.com.au.